Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder today that we not only have this written, powerful, authoritative, inerrant revelation from you through the Bible, you also provide your spirit who illuminates by the living word, you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, that you would have your way, that we would truly engage today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. What are you engaging with this week? If you think about your schedule, what, what are you truly engaging with this week? I know in my house, we are doing a lot of engaging with 49er football. We've been watching shows, we've been anticipating the football game today, we've been wearing our jerseys, we've, we've been very excited about the football game. Now, for some of you, you may not be football fans, or you may actually kind of not understand any of that fanaticism, but you're probably engaging with something this week, perhaps at work your work, and you've been just totally engaged, perhaps a show on Netflix, or perhaps something in your family, or, or perhaps some other uh, just distraction, or just something that gets you super excited. What are you engaging with this week? What are you engaging with today? What are you engaging with right now? We've been in this series called Follow Jesus Together, and this statement that we believe to be true is that this series, this, this concept of following Jesus together is an invitation. It's an invitation to a journey of growing in Jesus and going with Jesus on his disciple-making mission. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he didn't just say to go, we were also called to grow in him and called to be with him. And as we think about this idea of growing and going, today we're gonna talk about one of the key pieces, one of the key elements or one of the markers of how we can be a people who are growing and going, and I believe it relates to how you are engaging and what you are engaging with. You see, how we engage the Bible as disciples has a major impact on our growing and our going. It's been said, you are what you eat. Isn't that true? I was just thinking a few, couple weeks ago, uh, we were having a, a fast on a Thursday. We weren't eating. And so, um, in, you know, I, I don't do very good with not eating. And so I honored the fast, but at midnight, I didn't wait till the next day, I had uh, a microwaved corn dog. <laughs> not the most healthy thing to do. Um, and thinking about my own eating habits and my own challenges with knowing what I put into my body has a great impact on the way that I go in life and the way that I grow in life. And I find oftentimes that I'm growing in the wrong directions, if you know what I mean. And I believe that the way we think about the scriptures 
illustrates, this illustrates the same idea. How are you engaging with the scriptures? How are the scriptures, how is the Bible truly impacting the way that you grow in Christ and the way that you go with him? Is, he, is it there? Are the scriptures in that? We've been talking about this series following Jesus together. And as you look, if you've looked at the life of Jesus in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're gonna see that Jesus had a very strong relationship with the Bible. That Jesus and the Bible go hand in hand. In the passage that we're looking at, you'll see his thoughts on the Bible. You see, Jesus knew the Bible. If you go and you read in the scriptures, you'll see time and time again him quoting the Bible. He knew it front to back. He didn't just knew it, he also used it. There's a story of Jesus being, being uh, tempted in the wilderness and says that Satan comes and that Jesus recognizes Satan. Now one, one time using the Bible in the wrong way and Jesus is used as the word of God that he has memorized as a way to combat the enemy, the attacks of the enemy. He used it, he also submitted to it. You see times in the scriptures when, 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 when Jesus is living in ways that he said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. He clung to it. In this passage that we're looking at, it's in a very famous, the most famous sermon of all time called the Sermon on the Mount a sermon that Jesus gave. It's a sermon where Jesus is talking about the ways of the kingdom, the ways of following him. And in this passage, we learn something that is really important as we think about how we engage in the Bible, and this is the truth. As you think about engaging with the Bible, it's important to remember and to be reminded that Jesus is all about the Bible, and the Bible is all about Jesus. Jesus is all about the Bible, and the Bible is all about Jesus. He, he says this very clearly in this passage. Very clearly in this passage. One of, uh, I heard this quote this week as I was reading and listening and thinking about this. This guy named Andrew Wilson wrote, said this. He said, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. He says, I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, and helpful and powerful, I will too. As we think about following Jesus together, if following Jesus and we're looking at our Lord and our Savior and we see the way that he followed the scriptures, we join him in that. This is what Jesus is getting at in this Sermon on the Mount. In verse 17 of chapter five, he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The statement, the law or the prophets, the Torah or the prophets is, is a summary of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I've not come to just throw out the entire Old Testament, not to abolish, not to say, hey, there's a new thing. You don't gotta follow that anymore. You don't gotta listen to that. You don't even gotta read that anymore. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
fulfill. It's interesting, I did a word study on that word fulfill in Matthew. This word fulfill, called plerusai, is used all throughout Matthew almost explicitly, exclusively, about the scriptures and the way that Jesus was fulfilling these prophetic scriptures about the Messiah. It's been said that the scriptures are a unified story that points to Jesus. And Jesus here says that he did not come to abolish the Old Testament, he came to fulfill it. I love uh, R.T. France, one of my favorite commentators on Matthew said this, he said, the law down to its smallest details is as permanent as heaven and earth and will never lose its significance. On the contrary, all that it points forward to will in fact become a reality. Verse 18, Jesus says this, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, this is similar to when we would say, until hell freezes over, this permanence. Until heaven and earth will pass away, he says, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. This dot or iota, these are Hebrew words, we would say every dot and tittle. The smallest little mark, Jesus is saying, will be completed, will be fulfilled through him. We can't reject, we can't just throw out things that we believe are now obsolete. He goes on, he says, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. You know, there's been, especially in this moment, in the 21st century, uh, a push against the Bible, against the ways of God, against the, the authority of the scriptures. Some people would say, you know what, I love Jesus, I love his ways, the, the ethics that he taught, the love your neighbor, the love God, but all these regulations, all these commands, all these don't do's, they kind of cramp my style. Or they're just not very relevant to today. Or there's this deconstruction that we talk about. And Jesus here is saying, if you're gonna follow me, you need to see the scriptures as something that points to him. I love this about the Old Testament. I love preaching the Old Testament. I love, because I believe that, and we believe that when Jesus came in to the world here, that was not the beginning of his existence, that he is the second person of the Trinity who has existed in eternity as a part of the Godhead, that and it says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, that Christ has existed in eternity, and we see Tastes of him throughout the scriptures. We see him in the burning bush. We see him as the, as the angel of the Lord. We see not just references to his incarnation. We see his very presence. And we find a longing for him in the scriptures. We find a longing for him in the honest, true story of the Old Testament where we see broken humanity 
time and time again. Jesus believed and submitted to the Bible. He was about the Bible and the Bible is about him. There's this interaction, there were these people at his time called the Sadducees. It says that they didn't believe in the resurrection or that they only believed in the Torah and Jesus had some interactions even in his time with them to tell them that, that they weren't truly following the ways of Moses, that Moses was about him. And I believe he wants to say that to us today when we drift from his call to follow his ways. So as you think on this, as we think about Bible engagement, as you ask yourself, what am I engaging with? We're gonna follow Jesus. The question is, how am I engaging with the Bible? If the Bible is about Jesus and Jesus is all about the Bible, we must be thinking about engaging with this. So Jesus here, I believe, in the Sermon on the Mount, he is anticipating some of our ways of wanting to drift from his ways and his commands and, and his call to, to a way of living. But it can be easy to, to, to on, the, on the flip side, to get super legalistic. It can be easy to say, okay, this means that it's all about doing everything and I'm, all, and I'm, I'm so focused on everything that I'm doing that I'm missing something. And Jesus here is also anticipating another group of people called the Pharisees. You guys heard about the Pharisees? There were leaders at the time who were so focused on the law and the prophets and the, and the scriptures, and they, 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 had these, they developed these extra laws for obeying the Sabbath and, 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 and being clean. And, and Jesus anticipates, as we think about the Bible and how we respond to it, these kind of two drifts. One is to just completely drift away from the ways of God. The other is to, is to drift into this legalistic, me-centered perspective. Because here's what happens. See, Jesus is calling his followers to another level of engagement. Another whole level of engagement, I believe, a heart level. Something inward that is doing something and informing the ways that we live and the decisions that we make. Look at what he says here. This is really fascinating here. He says this. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying here? He's lifting up the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. These people, we look at them and we think, how could I ever live like that? He's saying, you need to have a righteousness that exceeds their way of living. And as you look at this, if you keep reading on, he then gets into these different examples of what it means to have this righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. He talks about anger. He talks about love for enemy. He talks about marriage. He talks about, at one point he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's looking not just at the outside, he's looking at the inside. He's saying that, that the ways of the kingdom are this whole new level where it's not just an appearance, 
of following his ways, there's actually on the inner, in the inner self, something that is happening. And we see this interaction of Jesus and the Pharisees. At one time, he calls them whitewashed tombs, that, that, that they, are, they, they look perfectly clean on the outside, but on the inside, they are dead. R.T. France says this about this passage. He says, Jesus is not talking here about beating the scribes and Pharisees at their own game, but about a different level or concept of righteousness altogether. At the end of, of chapter five, he says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, our English translations kind of have a hard time with this word perfect. We think about, about this idea of, of just everything you do is absolutely perfect. The word here, this Greek word, is more about this consistency, about having this consistency in the way that you're living, this consistency where your inner heart reflects your outer life, inside and outside. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that this command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas. It's not meant to be something that we just read and be like, well, this should crush me. I am imperfect, therefore, Jesus. He says, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command, that our confession, that when we say Jesus changes everything, that we're talking about hearts. And then when we think about engaging with the scriptures, we're believing that the Lord, by his word, through the living word, Jesus, the Logos, is doing something in this faith community that begins in us. We have said, before we start talking about Jesus changing everything, the first thing we must talk about is him changing me. And having this perspective, thinking about this with the Bible, thinking about this invitation to embrace, to engage the scriptures, believing that by the word of God, the the authoritative, powerful word of God and, and the gospel of grace of our Lord Jesus, we are gonna be able to live into this new invitation of the kingdom. This invitation that he's inviting us into of this consistency inside and out. And the question you may be asking is, well, how can I eat? <laughs> how do I eat? If you are what you eat, if, if, if we're called to engage with the Bible, I get that, Logan. I've tried that time and time again, but it's challenging, it's hard. How, how do I eat? How do I engage? How, how can I do this? I love in the book, that we've been reading alongside this series by uh, Kevin Harney, Organic Disciples. He talks about the difference between snacking and feasting. Anybody here have, anybody here snackers or has ch- have children that are snackers? My little Ruth, yeah, you got your hand raised. Good job, Ruth. Yeah, by the way, Ruth's turning seven today. It's her birthday. Yeah. Sorry, I just embarrassed you. My bad. Sometimes we love to, some of us love to snack. 
but we don't truly feast on the word of God. We have more of like what I would like to call a Hobby Lobby faith. You know what I mean? You go to Hobby Lobby and you see all the little, hey, nothing is impossible with God, uh, you know, uh, be strong and courageous, or we, we have those verses all around our houses, we have them written, and we just got kind of like the, the microphone drop verses, and we're just kind of snacking on the word. But we're not really engaging. We're not really digging into the word and saying, what does this really mean? This is, this, the, the, the word was not meant to be something we snack on. It's meant to be something that is rich and deep and meaningful. And there's all of this context and, and all of this beautiful background that we need to, to understand. And it's challenging. And it's hard. And it says things that come up against with the things that I think, and it says things that I don't understand. And the problem is if we're just snacking on the word of God, we, we're not getting that richness and that depth, the full counsel that God has for us. I would encourage you to think on this. And as you, as you think about this, how do I eat? How do I truly dig in? How can I be someone who feasts on the word of God? I would challenge you, examine it daily. Examine it daily. It says in Acts 17, verse 11, it says, now there were these Jews who were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They're called the Bereans. It says that they received the word with all eagerness. And they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They had been hearing these things and they were wondering, is this consistent? Is the things that we've been hearing from these disciples, these teachers, is it consistent? We live in an age where you have access to every teacher. You have access to every incredible preacher. But are we testing them? Are we, are we, are we asking ourselves, is this what, 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 what truly the, the story of Scripture is? Are we living with this confession that we believe in Hebrews chapter 4? It says, the word of God is a living, an active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Am I creating space in my day for the Bible to inform my life, for God by his word to speak into me. In the book, uh, Harney talks about this idea of being distracted versus diligent. This was really good. I wanted to read uh, a section on this where he writes about this. He said this. Do I spend more time watching shows on streaming services like Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu than feasting on the word of God? Do I know the characters in my favorite comedy or drama better than I know the lives and teachings of Elisha, Esther, Malachi, Mary, Stephen, and Peter? How much time do I spend on digital games or social media compared with the time I invest each day encountering God through the spirit-breathed scriptures? Am I distracted by the endless options for entertainment that our world makes so accessible? Am I distracted or am I being diligent? Am I creating space to truly examine the word 
daily. Second, apply it rightly. Apply it rightly. Paul writes to Timothy about this charge in 2 Timothy chapter three. He says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is what? Breathed out. Turn to the person next to you and say, breathe out. When you read the scriptures, do we believe that? Do you believe that we're encountering the very breath and word of God, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching? for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Apply it rightly. This is so important, the way that we apply it. The way that we apply it is really important. There's this difference we talk about in theology class called esogesis versus exegesis. Have you heard of this? Esogesis is I tell the Bible what I want it to believe, and then I go and find verses that are helping me in my life. Some would call this narcissism. It's where, it's where the Bible, I'm the hero in the Bible. I'm the main character in the Bible. So as I read it, I think, well, what does this mean for me today? What does this mean for, for my life today? And everything I read is all about me. And I'm not reading it exegetically, which is about, this is, a, this is a story that is being said. There's a certain literary style that is being said. I need to understand, am I reading poetry? Am I reading narrative? Am I, am I, am I, what am I reading? Is this a command? What is the word of God saying for me? It's been said, we need to read, read the Bible literally. I would say, I would push back on that and say, read the Bible literarily. Understand what the word of God says and means. We want to truly engage with it. We don't wanna be people that tell the Bible what to say. We want the Bible to tell us how to live. And I would encourage you, that this is hard work. This is why we do small groups. Because it's challenging to understand the ways of God, to understand this ancient Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic texts to, to be able to, to sort through these hard doctrines, these, these mysteries of a transcendent God who has revealed himself to us, and yet we are invited in. He's given it to us, and so we're invited into community. One of my favorite psalms is this long psalm, Psalm 119, where David is writing about the Torah, the instruction of God. It's challenging to me because as I read it, I don't know that I always feel like this about the Bible. But somehow through his daily examining of the scriptures, he has come to not just appreciate the scriptures, he has come to love the scriptures. He has come to long for that time with the Lord. It says this, how can a young man stay, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are we living in a way where we are applying the word of God rightly to our heart? 
Finally, don't miss this. Taste and see. Taste and see. It can be so easy, beloved, friend, to read the Bible as just information and things for me to learn. And we totally miss that it's meant not to be informational, it's meant to be formational. It's meant to form us, our spiritual formation, transformational, Jesus changing everything and continuing to form us as the potter does so. Do I come with this expectation, this desire that the Lord is going to do something in me as Psalm 34 says, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or in Psalm 19 it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. Enlightening, opening up the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. What are you engaging with today? What are you engaging with this week? Where are the scriptures fitting in to your walk, to your following Jesus? I wanna encourage you. Ask yourself, how can I engage? Here at Cornerstone, we just believe, we wanna be a people that don't just snack on the word, or we just, listen to the word on Sunday mornings. We, we, we believe that we, we wanna be constantly in the word. That's why we, we spend so much time talking about the reading plans and, and reading the scriptures together and engaging with the scriptures together. That's why in our small groups, they're always centered around a biblical text that we wanna grow together because we just believe that this is how we grow and go with Jesus. And as you think about this, as we together navigate and, and, and engage with the scriptures, I wanna remind you also the context of the verse that we read. When Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them and, and until everything is accomplished, don't forget that he had just said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. That when we engage with the scriptures, God is gonna be doing something and calling us to live in a certain way and people will see this new way of living, this kingdom way of living and his light will shine. This is how we are growing and going. They're not two separate pieces. So as you reflect on this, I wanna leave you with this one thought. Think about the life of Jesus and the way that he knew the scriptures. I think about some of the last words of Jesus on the cross. Did you know that it was scripture? You know, Jesus on the cross said, Father, why have you forsaken me? 
quoting Psalm 22. Fulfilling, taking on our sin, yielding to the Father, dying the death that we deserve so that we can live. Resurrecting and becoming the resurrected king and inviting you and me in to the way of the king. In a few moments, we're gonna sing a great old time hymn called Because He Lives. The refrain goes like this, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. Someone help me out the rest of them. My life is worth the living just because he lives. My prayer is that as we think about our tomorrows, as we think about our call into Bible engagement, we would never forget that it is about joining with Jesus, the living, resurrected King who has given us a way to the Father, filled us with his spirit, and is doing something in us. So we come to his scriptures, we come with a humility, and we come with an expectation, and we come wanting to just enjoy his word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this reminder today. This, 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 this call for us to be a people who are engaged with your word, God. And I just pray, God, that as we think about these words, that, that you would help us walking out to, to think how, what, what is one way that I can truly engage? What is one way that I can truly Open up my heart into, into, into letting your word speak into me. If that's just five minutes in the morning or, or 10 minutes on our lunch break or, or, or instead of being on my phone when I go to sleep, instead of being in your word, I pray, God, that you would show us that way, that you would speak into our groups, that you would speak into our discussions and that you would lead us because you are alive and because you live, we can face tomorrow. We believe this, we confess this together, we sing this together, and we pray this together in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, and all of God's children together say together, amen.